This is episode 60 of the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Welcome everybody. I am Kenny Rodder, your host, and today's episode is with Christopher Cullen from Weed and Con. Uh, get all the lowdown information about Weed and Con on the show notes page. It is happening uh, May 19th through 21st out here in Los Angeles. A lot of cool guests, a lot of cool stuff lined up. Other than that, Getting to the show notes and some admin stuff, we are in the process of switching over our servers, so we are hoping that there's not going to be any interruption in service, but if there is, hold tight, we will be back as soon as possible. Other than that, hope you guys enjoy... I enjoyed our Countdown to Covenant with Rachel Bolin last week. We got a couple more episodes coming for you this Friday and next Friday. Other than that, what else is going on over at Dumbbells and Dragons? Not a whole lot, guys. Anyways, enjoy this conversation with Chris Cullen, and we will catch you on the next one. Workout Nerd Out. In the basement rolling dice, rolling dice. I'm a wizard. When we play, we do it right. Candles flicker, fighting dragons in my mind. In my mind. Just for kicks. DM says you're gonna die. Roll a DC. All right, welcome again, Dragons, to another episode of the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Today, I am super excited to be joined by Christopher Cullen, who is one of the heads of social media for WeedonCon, up and coming here in the greater LA area. Um, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I absolutely adore Joss Whedon and all of his work. So I'm really excited to get into this because, as from what I know... Chris loves him too. Chris, how you doing, man? Doing great. How are you? I am wonderful. It it just so happens we were actually recording this on the fifth anniversary of the release of Cabin in the Woods. Absolutely. I can't believe it's been five years. Right? Uh, and so as soon as we are done, I'm probably going to watch that. <laughs> I was thinking about watching it too tonight. Oh, I love that movie. I think I saw it in theaters four times. Oh, yeah. And the thing was, it wouldn't, it wasn't playing anywhere in the Tempe, Arizona area when I was living there, except at one theater for one weekend. Oh, no. And I had been following the movie since forever. I mean, for years, right? Like, that movie has the longest, most complicated story of being made. Of, I mean, other than what, Goners, the other Joss project that was on the block and then never got made. Yeah. Cabin in the Woods just went through, and then uh, Lionsgate and MGM, and the release, and then the delayed release, and then the 3D, the, they were going to make it 3D, and then they didn't. It was it was wild, um, but I'm so glad it came out, because it's great. And then the success of the Avengers and Chris Helmsworth, they're like, oh, we can actually make money on this, let's send it out. I know. Did you know that he, he filmed that whole thing... Before he uh, was even cast as Thor. Yes. It was totally like, uh, I think that, I actually think that, um, I read this article today, and it was talking about how some of the dailies from Cabin in the Woods got him a job on Red Dawn, and then his work on Red Dawn got him the role of Thor. And wow. that's what they were saying. So it may have actually been, it may have contributed to his portrayal of Thor. That's excellent. That's really cool. I actually was really excited about Cabin in the Woods because of Fran Kranz. 
Oh, I love Fran Kranz. I mean, Dollhouse, he, he is the I, – I run the WeedonCon Facebook, and I think I show a little Fran Kranz bias because every time that there's a Dollhouse anniversary, I almost always choose a photo or a meme of something Topher Brink says because <laughs> I just really like him. Well, I, I just love that character, and then I actually was a huge big fan of – I started following everything – Fran was doing, and that included an indie film called Lust for Love. I love Lust for Love. That movie's oh. really... I uh, I had it... I followed it really closely, too, at the time, and I bought it on iTunes, I think. I own it on iTunes. Oh, wow. It was I, really... It was, it's obscure, right? I mean, it's... It is very obscure, and I think I only found it because of... Uh, I think it was on Netflix for a little bit. I think I followed uh, Fran and Deachin and everybody who had anything to do with that on, on Twitter and on Facebook and things, and they were really blasting it out, so I gave it a go. It was fun. Did you... Okay, first, let's... Okay, you know what? Speaking of Fran, he also did a short... Did you ever see The Lord of Catan? No. Okay. So, Is it the board game? Catan? Yeah, the... Yes. It was a like about a 20 minute short with Fran Kranz and give me one second. Why can't I remember her name? I feel so horrible right now. Um, I'm going to see her name and just be, feel so bad. Amy Acker. Oh, so it was a 20 minute short about a boyfriend and girlfriend who play settlers. I can't believe I've never seen that. It's Where did you find it? Um, I donated to the Kickstarter, and so I got a uh, MP MP4 copy of it. Oh my god, I would love to see that. That's amazing. I can't believe I've never heard of it. After the podcast, I will uh, share a link with you. Thank you. you what year was that? Oh my goodness. Oh, uh, twenty thirteen. That is not long ago enough for me to not have heard of that. I'm embarrassed. I would love to see that. That's so cool. <laughs> that is really cool. Did you get any perks other than, I mean, that's a good perk right there. Do you get anything else for donating? Um, I think I got like a PDF of the script and some behind the scenes, um, not shorts, but like pictures, but I really only donated for the, for the, for the short film. And I feel bad and you might feel bad because it wasn't 2013. It was 2014. Okay. So it was even new. Oh, I do. I feel. I feel worse. I was out in L.A. already. I, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> oh man, I should have known about that. That's well, really cool, though. <laughs> Let's redeem yourself by talking a little bit about WeedonCon and what you're doing with them and what people can expect when they show up to WeedonCon um, next month in May. Yeah, that's right. May 19th through 21st. And we are at the uh, Warner Center Marriott in the Los Angeles area. It's out by Woodland Hills. Uh, we have a much larger location than we did last year, which is very exciting. Weedon Con is a – it's run by fans and for fans. It is a charity, nonprofit, sci-fi and fantasy convention with a focus on the works of Joss Whedon. We are uh, – we choose different charities every year. This year, our two charities are – the first charity is 
the Al Wooten Jr. Heritage Center, which was actually a beloved charity of the late Ron Glass from Firefly. He, um, he in fact, was so involved in this charity that they got up and spoke at his memorial service. Like, this charity was very important to Ron Glass. And so we chose it in his honor because he passed away recently at the end of December. Uh, and the, out, the Wooten Center provides free after-school programs and affordable summer, summer programs for students in grades 3 through 12. That makes me so happy. Yeah, it's a really, really, I mean, and there's a reason Ron cared so much about it. It's, it's really important what they're doing. Well, and I, I don't mean to segue to a non-Whedon person, but um, one of my personal heroes, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is a huge advocate for after-school programs. I did not know that. Good and for him. Yes, it is because the hours from three to six are what's known as the danger zone for school-age kids. It's when, if you've got a mom and dad working, it's when kids can get involved with crime and drugs and, a, you know, alcohol because they have nothing to do and no supervision. So for every dollar that people invest in after-school programs the state actually ends up saving money because they don't have to incarcerate these kids later in life. Gosh, isn't that terrible? It's so true. That's fascinating. I'm going to have to look into Arnold's, and I like that. Yes. I like that a lot. But So the Wooten Center is, uh, is perfect uh, for – our charities are both actually for children this year. So the first one is the Wooten Center. The Wooten Center really does gel with that, like um, – making a difference in the world right now and being there where and when people need us. And that is kind of WeedonCon's statement. So I'm glad that we have the Wooten Center. And then we also have recently added a second charity. Um, we are benefiting a charity called My Friend's Place. And I'm not sure if you've heard of this one. It's LA-based. And it is – and let me see if I can correct there. I believe that they service on average – about a third of the homeless youth population in the LA area. Oh, that's so really cool, right? And they not only provide them with food, shelter, clothes, hygiene, supplies, they also grant them access to education, access to the arts. I am in love with my friend's place. And they're also, and I think you'll appreciate this, they are best known for being the safe place shelter for the LGBT community. Oh, wonderful. Because a disproportionate, I'm sure, a disproportionate number of young runaways and homeless teens are LGBT, LGBTQ. So um, this, the My Friends Place has a reputation for being the most LGBTQ-friendly shelter and uh, creating this really important safe space while also providing life's essentials. That's wonderful. And where, if people, um, we'll include all links in the show notes, but where, if people are listening and they just can't wait to click over to the show notes, they need to know where to go right now. Do you have URLs that you can shout out right now so these people can go can go check those charities out? Uh, yes, I, I believe, and I'm going to pull this up to verify because the last thing I want is to misdirect people, but I believe it's just myfriendsplace.org for my friend's place and I am going to get on that right now to make sure I am giving you the correct information 
It is myfriendsplace.org. No apostrophe. It looks like it's plural friends. And then the Wooten Center. I believe that one's also very simple. I apologize for not having these on standby. No worries. It is at just Wooten, W-O-O-T-E-N, center.org. Perfect. And for those people who can be patient and click over from the show notes, we'll include all those links. Right. So, yeah, we, we rotate charities every year, but we're thrilled about these charities, um, particularly the Wooten Center, which has been our charity for several months now um, because of Ron Glass's devotion to them. It's really just it's nice to be able to do something nice in the honor of someone who made such a difference himself. No, absolutely. No, I was just going to say, so, our, I mean, of course, so our convention is for charity. We do not make profit. We are all volunteers on the staff. Every cent that we get goes towards either, of course, the cost of running the con, and then any profits go toward our charities directly. So it's from our auction, profits from our auction, membership ticket sales, everything that can go to charity does go to charity. And that is part of our mission statement. That's excellent. And that is that is one reason why Weeding Con is definitely a con that I choose to support. Also, it's just cool because it's Joss Whedon and I don't think there's a property Joss has done that I haven't enjoyed. We we I'm the same way. I love everything Joss Whedon has done. I mean, I I just love how much like when I stumbled upon the Whedon verse, it was just Buffy and Angel and Firefly. In the time that I've been around it has expanded so much that it it really can be its own con. Like, we have Avengers cosplay. We have, I mean, if you think about the, the doors that Joss Whedon has opened in the last five years with Much Ado About Nothing, um, Avengers films, and Cabin in the Woods, uh, I know that in your eyes, I know that didn't get around, but Bellwether Productions is still up and running as far as I know. Um, and I'm just waiting for him because he's been silent for a while. I need uh, I need new marching orders, you know. Have you <laughs> you you've heard that he's been linked to write and to, direct the Batgirl movie? Yes, he is in negotiations. Um, we've we've had to talk the details through uh, over at WeedonCon Central because we want to make sure we report it correctly. So he is still in negotiations, and it's possible that he'll produce, direct, and write or any number of those things um but it is not official yet but i really hope so because i think it's a great fit for him and i i just want to say dc your track record ain't great just no. man just i know man. i know i agree because i mean i think that he could do it and it's a standalone so it doesn't have to be dragged down by the other movies that flopped <laughs> it can be it can be the shining star in dc's crown <laughs> because it's not linked to anything else they do oh my no. goodness that's great um so what can what sort of programming can people expect when they uh arrive at whedon con oh i'm glad you asked so we have a really interesting mix this year in our programming so of course we have our big headlining parties We've got the prom at the bronze, which is a party we had last year that was very successful. Um, people came in cosplay. People just came in tuxes and dresses, whatever. We rocked out to music, and um, 
it was fun. And we stayed up till probably like uh, one, maybe even two in the morning. Don't quote me on that. Um, because we, we just did, we could. And people came up to me and said like other, they've seen cons have masquerades and things and the nothing had ever been as consistently fun as that one, as that party. Uh, but that was kind of our big party last year. And that was kind of, the big party this year we have so many big parties so we've got um the prom at the bronze of course and then we have we even have a pool party this year so i've been telling cosplayers that uh you come and cosplay for anything and if your cosplay is waterproof come to the pool party um so we have the prom at the bronze we have the pool party we have we have these really interesting cocktail hours where um you can purchase an additional ticket to have what is essentially a an intimate meet and greet with our talent and so we have themed ones we have one called women of the Whedonverse, and it's all of our female talent uh who's available that night and you can pay the price of the ticket for this event and then it's you and a very select number of other people in the small room mingling with the talent and it's it's just um, I think it's going to be spectacular. And we have one called the Women of Whedon. We have one called Wolfram and Hart Company Party, which is a lot of our villains' talent. <laughs> um, we have another one that is the Giles Library, and it's a little, like, tea hour, breakfast tea. And then we also have um, the uh, – it's a Companions Tea, which is another midday event, and it's a Firefly-themed uh, one. And then um, – we have some screenings. We have panels galore. We have a – we're a very um, inclusive convention, and we have what is essentially – although I don't believe we are literally calling it this, but we have so many panels on, like, uh, tolerance and inclusivity that we may as well have our own track for it. Um, we have – let me see. Our goal is to create a dynamic and interactive experience for all of our attendees, and it's something that's really hard to do with larger conventions. So we're really proud of our of our general size and scope because a phrase I like to use is that we are intimate by design because it allows you to actually get into that cocktail party and talk to the talent. If you go to the meet and greets with our talent during the day, and this is really funny and i hope you appreciate this our meet and greets with talent are not going to be like sitting around at a table asking questions we are going to invite people to play cards against humanity with the talent <laughs> and that's your meet and greet and it's 20 dollars an hour and you sit down for an hour you and nine other people with whoever it is that you wanted, whether it's Nicholas Brendan, Xander from Buffy, um, Miracle Laurie uh, from Dollhouse, Camden Toy from Buffy, you get your meet and greet, you sit down, and you play Cards Against Humanity, and you laugh, and you end up having these like funny moments and memories and inside jokes with your favorite stars, and I can't wait for people to experience it. I Okay, so I need to say that I'm pretty sure Cards Against Humanity would be right up Nicholas Brendan's alley because I heard him on hellblazer.biz, which is another podcast, and he was on his way last year to Wales Comic-Con. Okay. 
And? And that podcast is one of the dirtiest podcasts I've ever listened to. Really? And it was absolutely hysterical. Um, And I love Nick Brendan. Like, he... He's the sweetest man. Yesterday was his birthday. Oh, well, you yesterday at the time of this recording, which is going to be about two weeks old by the time this airs. So happy belated, Nick. I remember three years ago, I actually saw him on his birthday uh, at Steel City Con in Pittsburgh, where I was living. And he was wearing a little birthday crown. And uh, he was giving everybody hugs. I don't know if you have you ever met him at a, at a convention. He has a little sign that says his price is autographs this much, photo this much, free hugs in all caps. Um, I I met him at a con out here in L.A. briefly last year. Um, I was helping a friend set up his booth, so all I got to do was say, "Hey, big fan, love you on Buffy." You know, your Facebook is one of the most positive things I've ever seen on the internet. Please keep it up. Oh, have you seen his wonderful uh, kick depression in the ball sack campaign? Yes. He's, hey, he's, you know what, I, I know this is weird because I don't know him, but I'm proud of him. He's had a hard time and he is making something really good out of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's when you face that sort of adversity that it's really kind of cool to see someone come out better on the other side well i i just think i mean because it's not like he's not even just having his struggles he's having his struggles and then he's in the public eye so yeah every time he finds himself dealing with something he has to people are writing news articles about it and tweeting about it and that poor man i'm so proud of him for for getting through it all and being the positive inspirational person that he is and i can't wait to spend the weekend with him and i hope that He's going to have so much fun at our convention, and I I think that everyone who sees him is going to have a bigger smile on their face when they leave than they did when they got there. Absolutely. And he's actually got some new, some new films coming out, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, he does. Um, I worked on – we did a press release for him a while back, and he was in a lot of things that were coming out this year. Oh, yeah. Um, I also – Actually, Yeah. He's got, I was thinking specifically about Redwood. Oh, no, it's not just Redwood. There's two or three. Yeah. You have him pulled up? What is he working on now? Um, He's doing The Inspector Chronicles. He's in a movie called Snatched, uh, a movie called Milk and Honey. He's got a lot of stuff going on. That's yeah, awesome. He's, he's having a good year. Yeah. yeah. That's really nice. I had a, I work, so I... I work um, in film and I do freelance production design and working on art, art and sets and props. And I've had a couple friends just be on set with him because he's been so busy this past year. Oh, that's cool. And so they'll call me, of course, right away because I'm such a Buffy fan. And they'll say, like, you will never guess who's sitting 10 feet away from me. Um, and so I know he's been busy and I just think it's wonderful. And I'm so grateful to him for making time to come to our convention and to help us raise money for our charities. That's I think awesome. it's so wonderful, and I think it's just going to be so much fun. And so, sorry, so I'm talking a lot about Nikki, but we actually have a lot of really exciting guests coming. Yeah, share um, some more of the talent. So we just announced, I don't know if you're following, I know you're, you are following us on social media, we just announced that 
uh, Jeff Pruitt and Sophia Crawford are coming. Now, do you know who Jeff Jeff and Sophia are? Because they're – do you know? Sorry. I don't. Okay, you're going to get excited when I tell you. Jeff Pruitt – so first of all, they're married to each other, and he proposed to her on the set of Buffy. Like, when I did this, I wrote the article about them, and I, I made the uh, the little caption say – Jeff Pruitt and Sophia Crawford, the real power couple of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Because Jeff was the stunt coordinator and fight choreographer for the full first four, the first, the second, third, and fourth season. That's so cool. And Sophia was Buffy's stunt double every single episode in the first four seasons. And so Jeff and Sophia, now they worked on, so they worked on everything. Between the two of them, they worked on the first. 78 episodes all the way up to restless and they did not only do they work on it but jeff filmed and this is like the buffy fan in you is gonna be is gonna freak over what i'm about to say jeff filmed all kinds of footage on he said he has over four hours of never before seen behind the scenes footage from the set of buffy that's so cool. He needs so, that, that needs to be DVD special features. He is planning to condense it and show the best the highlights at the convention. Never before seen exclusive behind the scenes footage and I've seen some of it just in they made us a little video. You have to go to our website. If you go to weedencon.com, it's the uh, article was published April 6th and it's called Exclusive Stunts, Snapshots and Stories. And there's a video at the top. It's also on our YouTube. Um, we're under WeedonCon on YouTube. And it is Jeff and Sophia, and it's the funniest video. We did not give them a script. They must just be the funniest people in the world because they came up with this little ditty, and it was so funny. And then they're, inter- they're intersecting their little jokes with footage that we've never seen before. And it's like Joss looking into the camera and saying something snarky to Jeff. And then cutting away to to a guy getting set on fire, like it's it's really amazing. I advise everyone to check it out because it's just the tiniest taste of what we're going to get at the convention. That is so uh, cool. I, uh, I know. I'm thrilled. I'm on the guest page, and this is okay. how this is how nerdy I am. I got super excited when I saw that George Sarah was going to be there. Yes, because oh, we're so excited. He came last year too. His album with Anthony Stewart Head. It's it's what, 15 years old, and it still gets play on my MP3 player. Is that music for elevators? Yes. Uh, that, I, I, I'm so happy that George is coming. Um, we wrote, uh, he, and for, for, for you, those of you who don't know, George Sarah, let me pull it up because I don't want to get it wrong, but he did the music for Buffy, and I want to be exact. Let's see. He so he appeared in the band Shy, which was Veruca's band in season four of Buffy, <laughs> and he appeared in the string quartet of Hell's Bells, where Xander and Anya get married, and he also appeared in season one of Angel. But he also composed the music for a lot of Buffy. Um, I believe <laughs> I'm not seeing that here, but I believe that's true. And he played. He was he was on our schedule last year, and I'm so happy he's coming back because he was just a really cool guy. And yeah, so if you have our guest list in front of you, you see who else we have. Is there anyone you're really excited about? Because, um, oh man, 
man. I, you know, big fan of David Fury and Tim Maneer. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. So David Fury hasn't been to a convention since 2000, I think. Now, by the way, Jeff and Sophia haven't been to a convention in 2004, since 2004. Wow. And that, that convention was in Scotland. Oh, goodness. That's this is be... their first ever convention in the United States for Buffy. They did go to one Power Morphicon because they worked on the first three seasons of Power Rangers and the movie. But they have never been uh, – they've never appeared for their work on Buffy before except once in Scotland. So they're actually really excited to come. Um, but David Fury you mentioned. I'm sorry. David Fury is our guest of honor, and he hasn't appeared at a convention since I, – and I want to say at latest 2007. Wow. He said it's He said it's been over 10 years. So – this is, I mean, we're thrilled. The man is so prolific. He's got, he, write, he wrote episodes of Lost. He produced seasons of 24. Um, and, you know, he wrote and directed and appeared in Bobby and Angel and Dr. Horrible. I mean, he just touches the Whedonverse everywhere. Let's see, he wrote 13 episodes of Angel 17 episodes of Buffy, four episodes of Lost. He directed an episode of Angel, directed two episodes of Buffy, and he appeared in Buffy. He appeared in Angel. You know when he appeared, right? No. David Fury. Okay, so David Fury is the mustard man in Once More With Feeling on Buffy. I did know that. He is the um, puppeteer in Smile Time of season five of Angel. <laughs> the, the, the puppet sticks his hand up him. He's also an angel a different time, I believe. He is a he's sacrificing a goat or something, and Angel roughs him up in a in a sewer. And then um he and Dr. Horrible, he's one of the newscasters. He and Marty okay. Knoxon. Yeah. But so he's all over the Whedonverse, and we're so excited to have him. He hasn't been at a convention in ten years, and he's coming as our guest of honor, and we cannot wait. And Tim Minear is so exciting, too. You know, between American Horror Story, his new show, Feud, I mean, the man is in high demand, and he's somehow making time for us and our charities. And we could not be more grateful to that's, both of them. That's awesome. There's, like, everyone should just go check out the guest page, because there's a lot. I want to leave some surprises for people to go check out on their own. Uh, but yes, so I actually, if, if there's... Anything else we need to know about WhedonCon? If not, I'm going to move into talking more about you and Joss Whedon. Okay. Well, I will say, let me let me review. <laughs> I want to make sure, I do want to make sure I said it all. So, WhedonCon is happening May 19th through 21st at the Warner Center Marriott in Los Angeles. We are fan-run by fans for fans we are intimate by design come be friendly be i mean i'm sorry be treated friendly <laughs> everyone we're very welcoming we're very pleasant we are a very Whedon fans are a really um welcoming and kind group of people i have found and so that's our vibe for our con that's our goal is that everyone is welcome everyone is included and you're not just welcome we're excited you're here that's um, excellent Check out our guest page. Go to www.weedoncon.com. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Keep up with our latest news. Our programming is going live April 19th, which is just a few days away now. It's one month before the con. You will be able to see 
everything we have listed for our program and wait till you see it. It's going to be wonderful. It's huge this year. We have probably quadrupled our programming from last year. That's uh, it's excellent. It really is. I couldn't be more excited. We are benefiting my friend's place and the Al Wooten Jr. Heritage Center, both charities for children. Um, and check us out. Memberships are on sale. Uh, if you go to our website or our Facebook, you'll find a link, and I'm sure uh, you will include a link to our Eventbrite where you can buy membership tickets. Or we call them memberships because we're a charity. So what you're doing is joining our organization, and it comes with access to the convention for a full weekend. We're, we can't. We don't call them tickets. They're memberships. You're becoming a part of our nonprofit for the weekend, and um, so you purchase your membership. They're on sale right now. It's only sixty dollars for the weekend. And the price will go up if you buy at the door. So you want to get those now. Um, and it'll go up all the way to 75 So you want to get your weekend now for 60 And $60 for a whole weekend of partying and Joss Whedon is a steal, in my opinion. <laughs> I would tend to agree on that one. Uh, so I, you know, I, I hope I covered everything. I could probably talk about this forever, but I know that I'm retreading. Uh, I I run the WeedonCon Facebook, so if anybody has any questions, message us on Facebook, and I would be happy, delighted even, to answer your questions if you can't find the answers on our website. Perfect. Now, my question for you is what first caught your eye in the Whedonverse? What is the first thing that sucked you in, and uh, when? I have, of course, I remember my Whedon origin story. Because it doesn't everybody. Um, I was a Saturday morning in February of 2004. And I was flipping through the channels. And I stumbled upon what I thought was an episode of Charmed. Which is a show that I didn't really like. But I had seen. But I had seen it once or twice. And it wasn't, it turns out, an episode of Charmed. But it was actually two to go. The penultimate episode of season six of Buffy. Oh, wow. And that was my first introduction to the series, was <laughs> the second two-thirds of Two to Go. So I immediately got hit in the face with Willow is evil, Tara is dead, Xander is telling, revealing to Dawn that Spike tried to rape Buffy. It was so dark. And that was my slap-in-the-face intro. And you know what? That was a Saturday afternoon. That, by Monday, I was rushing home from school so I could watch Buffy from 3 to 5. <laughs> That's awesome. I, it was instantaneous. And so people get down on season 6, but for me, 5 and 6 are my favorite seasons of Buffy. 5 for when I'm in a good mood, 6 for when I'm in a bad mood, but I love them both. And six was my introduction. So after that first episode, um, I saw the, the almost the penultimate episode. Then on that Monday, it started, and it was in the I have missed bargaining. Bargaining part one and two must have been the previous Friday on syndication. So the first episode I saw after two to go was Afterlife, and then they played two episodes a day, and I watched every day. And then it that of the like Thursday of that week, maybe it was Wednesday. I'm not doing the math right now. Uh, I was, and I lived in, grew up in Pennsylvania, so I remember I watched the first episode of Buffy, and then 
I chose, I wanted to stay and watch the next episode, but these weird credits came on and it looked like real old timey. And I thought, oh, for some reason they're showing an earlier episode because I knew that I was watching season six. So I thought, okay, you have to go shovel this, the driveway anyway. So I went and shoveled snow for an hour. And then I came back with two minutes left in the episode and it had been once more with feeling. <laughs> so I had missed once more with feeling, which you can't miss. And then, um, so I came back from shoveling snow and I was so upset because here's Buffy and Spike kissing and singing. And I can't believe what I must have jumped over. And then I made it a point. I got on, um, this is how 2004 this story is. I got on LimeWire, I want to say. Oh. And and downloaded people's like personal recordings of the Once More the Feeling soundtrack and memorized it and t- turned. I was fourteen, so I turned the volume down every time there was a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> but that was my exposure. Was there's a Buffy musical, but I can't prove it because there was no internet streaming, and the DVD wasn't even out yet for season six. So I had to go on LimeWire, and then I became obsessed with the songs. And then I think it was another six months before I found before I saw the actual episode. Oh, wow. Once more with feeling. But I was obsessed with it for months without having seen it. So I'm gonna, I want to share, share mine. I oh, think please. I came into Buffy in the middle of season two. While it was airing? While it was airing. Okay. I'm old. You got some years on me Buffy-wise. Yeah. Um, I want to say I was in a high... And you know what? No. I was in high school, so it was in the middle of season three. Okay. And and my like my sister was watching, and then I started watching, and then all my friends were watching to the point where when we were in high school, when um, Once More with Feeling came out, I went over to my friends to watch it, and then she had taped it. So as soon as it was over, we watched it again. That's amazing. And when I. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was going to say just Buffy always – Buffy is probably the Whedon property that will always mean the most to me. And I lied. You know what? My first exposure to the Whedonverse was the Buffy movie. Oh, okay. Because I boycotted the TV show oh. for like two years because I was like, no, you can't mess up this movie. So you love the movie. So you're one of the six people who love the movie. Dude, there's a yellow ye- leather jacket. How can you not love that movie? <laughs> and Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens as a one-armed vampire. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have a, it's like a dark, dirty secret, but I've only seen that movie once. Oh. I just well. found it. I found it. Um, I'm not going to say lacking, but as someone who came into the show first, I'm glad I've seen it. I'm glad I own it, but I don't often get the desire to watch it. You know, I can understand that. But now that you and I are best friends, I think we might. <laughs> you're gonna have make a movie me, night. You're gonna make me watch it, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> now, is there any Whedon property, any Whedon material that you have not seen? Ah, have not seen. So. I watched Roseanne growing up, but I've never gone back and watched the episodes that were his. Oh, like, let's, let's... You're talking more specifically Whedon verse. I, so... yeah, I would say that. I was, like, because me, like, I haven't seen Alien Resurrection. Okay, but so that's, to, to me, that falls more like the Roseanne. 
Like he did it, he farmed it, he someone yeah. hired him. So yeah, I haven't seen Alien Resurrection. I haven't seen the parks of Roseanne while consciously knowing they were his. Um, but other than that, I follow his career pretty closely. Um, I have you read Sugar Shock? People always forget about Sugar Shock. Or you do follow his comics? Um, kind of. I mean, I followed the Buffy comics. I've I've read Buffy season eight. I catch the flyer, the Firefly ones. Um, especially so you have. Yeah. You haven't read Buffy season 9, 10, or 11? No. You should. They're much better than season 8. I know. Because season 8, I was like, why are they in this alternate god dimension? I'm so confused. Um, I didn't... Season 8 was not kind to anybody. It was growing pains, you know? They were trying to f- work out a new medium. That's true. And, and they really found their stride when they... And they hired comic book writers. <laughs> Joss started breaking the stories and letting someone who writes comic books write them. And in my opinion, that was the difference. That made the difference. And now reading the comics is like watching the show. Season 11 is perfect. I mean, perfect. Okay. They finally perfected it. It's, it's, well, it's wonderful. I was, I was trying to read them all along with Angel After the Fall. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, like... Angel After the Fall became Angel and Faith, and then there was, like, for some reason I just couldn't follow the 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 continuity, and then I dropped uh, out of comics altogether and stopped reading all comics, but now that I'm getting back into comics, I probably should go back and catch up on well, all of those. now that we're best friends, I may have to lend them to you. Because... Ooh, I would not say no to that. Because I have them, and I always want to share them with people. Can can I share a dirty dark secret with you? Of course. So I have never seen two episodes of Buffy season seven. Is it the last two? It is not. Okay, because I was gonna say I know people like that. I know people who refuse to watch finales because then the story ends, and they would rather live have it live on forever in their heads. I thought maybe you were one of those. So what are the two episodes? How have you managed that? The two episodes are not chosen and not end of days. Okay. Empty Places and Dirty Girls? Empty Places and Touched. Touched. Okay. And why? Because you hate lesbian sex scenes? No. (laughs) Sorry. I did a report when I was in high school on television firsts, and I got to do a report on how um, touched was the television broadcast television's first lesbian sex scene. Interesting, but yeah, okay. Um, so just by coincidence, you just missed them and then never went back. Well, yeah, it was it was during my senior year of high school, and those were the two weeks of like finals and graduation, and I was oh. busy and doing all this other stuff. So they came and went. And I just never went back and watched them and was kind of like, but as soon as I watch them, there's no more Buffy. That's true. So they'll always live on in your heart. You're kind of using it the same way I was talking about. Yeah. But, you know, I think I think the next time I rewatch the series, which originally I tried to do along with Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Ah. Mm -hmm. But then I was like. I don't even have time to watch one episode of TV a week, so I can't. 
I can't, you know, well, yeah. Do you know, after over a decade of loving Buffy, I actually had a new experience with Buffy last year. I sat down and watched Buffy and Angel in order of air date. Yes. Switching from Buffy to Angel, 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 Buffy, Buffy, Angel, Angel, you know. I had yeah. the little chart in front of me, and I did it because I'd never done that before, and I didn't know. I kind of just did it because I'd never done it before, but I did not realize what an enlightening experience it would be, and it was. And there are themes and parallels that I – and I'm very uh, – I'm, like, dangerously analytical. I will think something to death and then <laughs> fail to act because I spent so much time thinking on it, and – I have still never picked up on some of the parallels that I discovered while watching them in this way. And I was so glad that I did it. See, see, I remember because I watched them when they originally aired. Right. That, so that, that was, that's, that's your uh, original experience. Yeah. That's my default. My default was with that. So we, we, I think we've Buffy and Angel to death. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's so many other great, properties out there i love dollhouse never gets its due oh, but i love it i i was fortunate enough so joss was at a at san diego comic-con last year he was doing something with the nerd hq and i got to ask him a question first everyone at the convention was like joss i'm your biggest fan joss i'm the biggest fan so i get up and i'm like mr whedon i'm an average fan <laughs> And so I essentially asked him, I was like, I like to think that Dollhouse and the events that happen at the end of the series is the prelude to Firefly. And this way I get two more seasons of Firefly. (laughs) Oh, how interesting. And I asked him and I was like, is there any... Does my theory hold any water? And he was like, all of my, all of my universes are somewhat connected, even thinly. And I was like, ah. <laughs> That's so interesting. Do you know, I always think that the Buffyverse and Firefly are connected because Frey... Have you read Frey? Yes, I have read Frey. So Frey is set in between the events of Buffy and the events of Firefly. And if you pay attention to how decrepit uh, Haddon is, Manhattan, and the, the class warfare that's going on, the mutants forming, the people living in the sewers, the resources, the fact that wood is like diamonds or gold in the future because it's so impossible to find wood. I think that I've always thought that that is Earth that was being used up and that the Firefly world was coming within the next hundred years. Well, had I gotten another question, I was going to ask him, what season of Firefly were we going to get a Frey crossover? Oh my God, what a good question that would have been. Because I know it was in his brain. That's really cool. I wish Frey would happen. I wish a miniseries, a uh, miniseries really is the best, but it could be a film. I would love for Frey to get off the ground. That's just, Frey is such a good story. 
Oh, yeah. Well, and even if it's just, like, a one-off, like, with the options today, Netflix would jump at that. Well, I would think so, too. I don't know. I mean, I wish. I wish. I mean, I mean, hopefully Joss does this Batgirl thing, but I don't know. I, uh, I want more right now. It's been a while since he's put something out. I'm with you. I'm with you. So what Whedon property would you like to see crossed with a non-Whedon property? Like if characters from two shows were going to interact. Oh, it has to cross with a non-Whedon property? Yes. So I can't say, like, I want the Scooby gang to fight the Avengers and lose miserably. (laughs) (laughs) But they're both heroes. Why would they be fighting? I don't know. What's up? So let's see. What do you have an answer to that question? So I, I just know. get a feel. I I heard I heard that question on a podcast recently, and I was like, I'm talking to another Whedon lover. I'm going to ask them. Okay. Well, this is hard. I, know. I think. Okay. I, I I think I have it. Okay. Yeah. You give me one, and that'll help me. Okay. I I would actually love. To see Buffy and the guys from Psych. That would be really interesting. I've never seen Psych, but from what I've seen and heard about it, I would like to see that crossover. I Psych is hilarious, and I think that, oh gosh, Sean and why can't I remember the other guy's name? I can't remember. And the reason is because Sean always calls him by a different name on the show. But yeah, it would be, I just think that would be the funniest episode of any TV show ever. All right, I've come up with one. I'm not sure this is my be-all, end-all, but this is what I thought of. Um, I, I do this thing, and I don't know if it's common, but I do it, and it's where I trade TV shows with people. Mm-hmm. So, like, I started it when I was in middle school, and I and a boy said... If I want you to watch Star Trek. I want you to watch Star Trek. And I said, I don't know. I'm not really that interested in Star Trek. And so we made a trade. And so he watched Buffy. For every episode of Buffy he watched, I watched an episode of Star Trek. And then I repeated it later with a, with a very close friend. And I traded her, Buffy, for Dexter. And I was going to watch Dexter. Ooh. I would like to see Angel hunting for the serial killer who turned out to be Dexter I would like them to have a meeting of the minds and I would like Angel to let Dexter go because Dexter would be able to offer this like moral, moral uh, uncertainty. This Angel would wouldn't know what to do because Dexter would essentially be making the world better the same way that Angel is by killing vampires. Okay. Like if you're cutting out the cancer, if if you're only killing other serial killers, are you doing good? Are you doing are you doing wrong? And I think they would have that. And then I think Angel would let him go. I like that. I and like I would, that. I, that's my answer for now. I'll probably <sighs> think of something else, but that's my answer for now. Have you watched all of Dexter? Uh, it's a sore spot because I didn't complete the trade yet, but I have three seasons left. Don't stop now. I have heard that. I've heard that. The, I've, I know how it ends. And I but I at least I know. So I'm not going to be blindsided. Okay. All right. You know what else? You know what else I'm going to add in? I would like Veronica Mars to investigate the dollhouse, a la Paul Ballard. Oh, 
she drives up to LA and she, you know, she sniffs around, takes her photos and tries to, she sneaks in the back door and she meets Ivy and Topher and Adele holds her hostage. I would love to see that happen. Are you a Veronica Mars fan? Uh, of the show. I've never seen the movie. Oh, you should see the movie. Are you, are you riding a motorcycle right now? <laughs> oh, yeah, always. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> win, no win, windows down. You can't miss a motorcycle. You can hear them from a mile off. Um, there's been cars there's been cars passing the whole time but I, I hope you haven't been hearing those but the motorcycle no. no it's all right i live by burbank airport so like every once in a while there'll be a plane on the podcast um yeah it happens yeah you know planes so, ruin lives man you gotta you gotta hold for planes every time i'm on set it's i'm sure that this is true of all sets but it's very frustrating it's like who do those people think they are moving through the sky don't they know we're down here and we need quiet and now they're beating people up, so... Uh, what a nightmare that is. <laughs> uh, but I do have the ultimate weed in question for you. Okay. Spike. All right. There you go. Was I don't know question? if the... Yeah, that was the, that was the question. I don't know if people listening know what the question was going to be. <laughs> But the question was, Buffy and Angel or Buffy and Spike? Now, I am not an Angel hater. I love Angel on the show Angel, but my personal, and I cannot say this more, this is not an opinion reflected by the con. We op- we're open to all ships. <laughs> but personally, Spike, 100%, he is, he, he got his soul by choice. When he became a vampire, the first thing Angel did was kill his parents. When Spike became a vampire, the first thing he did was save his mother's life. Like, Spike has always been the better person. Spike loved Buffy without a soul. Imagine Angelus without a soul in a room with Buffy. Is he going to be hugging her and kissing her? Or is he going to be tying her to a pyre and setting her on fire? Like, no contest in my opinion. Spike is the better choice for Buffy. But in um, and even from a narrative perspective, Angel and Buffy are boring together. In my single soul, only my opinion, there are passionate Angel supporters. But once you see Angel on Angel and realize how dynamic a character he is, you find that he's he's he is a leading man. And on Buffy, he falls into like cardboard cutout syndrome because he has to be a plot device instead of a person, and he's a too good a person, a character to be, to play second fiddle to Buffy. They both need to be their own stars and that's my opinion, whereas Spike is the perfect, like, banter partner for Buffy. Well, so, here's my my thoughts on that. Um, it's it's easy. It's Riley. Yeah, you know, Joss, <laughs> somebody asked Joss Whedon that once and I don't remember when, but it wasn't that long ago. He said, who, if you could choose right now, who would Buffy end, who was Buffy always supposed to end up with? And I think and I don't know if he really was even at a panel, but I picture him leaning in dramatically to the microphone. And then he says, Parker Abrams <laughs> from season <laughs> from season four. Buffy's, Buffy's traumatic one night stand. And I'm pretty sure that really happened, that he really oh. said that. And I'm, obviously <laughs> he's joking, but like, that's amazing, right? Well, so I'm, I'm in line for the Buffering the Vampire Slayer uh, live recording podcast. Mm-hmm. And 
two girls are having that conversation and I just throw out, no, it was Riley. Um, and they got, they got really mad at me and they couldn't take a joke. And I was like, no, you need to joke about these things. But the way I view it is Buffy and Angel is a wonderful high school relationship. It's very superficial. It's very puppy love. It's never going to make it long term. No. And Buffy and Spike burned too bright and too fast. But, and I hate to do this, I don't want to spoil this too much for you, but I'm going to say it because it's important. Buffy and Spike have a much more adult relationship in the comics, and yes. it's everything you've ever wanted it to be. Ooh. I mean, the, it is. You say in the comics, because I thought they had a very adult relationship in the show. Um, so. by, by adult, I mean mature and sophisticated. Okay. Which, and... by the way, is a quote from Desperate Housewives. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if you ever watched Desperate Housewives, but uh, Brie Vandekamp, when her son Andrew was doing, he told her that he's doing adult movies, and she looked at him and said, by adult, you mean complex and sophisticated. And he's like, <laughs> no, ma. <laughs> oh, goodness, that is funny. But so, oh. uh, Buffy and Spike, I mean that they have a mature relationship. Like, they are each other's support system and partners and things that the show didn't ever give them a chance to be. They, they are now. And I mean, they're really good for each other. And, and it's just reaffirmed what I've always felt that he was the right person for her. I can, I can, I can side with that. I can go with that. And when you borrow my comics, you'll find out. Yay. <laughs> uh, so I kind of want to go into, a question sometimes I ask people is, if all the superheroes in every universe got together and had a big fight, who would win? So if every person in the Whedonverse got together and had a huge fight, who would win? Illyria. You're putting... Okay. There you go. You put you put in the god. Yeah, right? right? I think Illyria could take on Thor. All she'd have to do is freeze him in time. <laughs> That's a good right? point. And in the comics, she has this, like, occasional ability to become the size of a skyscraper. So I feel like, you know what? I'm going to take it back. I think Giant Dawn from season eight. (laughs) 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 I think given the right context, she might be able to step on Illyria. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You're killing me. You're killing me. You know, Uh, back to Riley. I want to say he doesn't get his due. He was everything he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be boring. He was supposed to be the wrong choice for Buffy. Like, Buffy season four, to me, is my least favorite season because it's disjointed and because they, they, they don't have the chemistry that they're famous for before and after. But that's the design. That's freshman year of college. That's growing apart. The show made you feel awkward for a year because Buffy and Xander and Willow and Giles felt awkward for a year. And Riley's part of that. Riley is Buffy experimenting with what she thinks she's supposed to have. And I've always had a soft spot for Riley because he grew up like 20 miles away from my small town in Pennsylvania. And my mother and my aunt worked with his mother, not Riley, Mark Lucas, worked with his mother. And so like, I, I just always had this soft spot for Riley. So maybe I'm being too forgiving, but I do think that he accomplished what he was designed to accomplish. Yes, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. His character had a purpose, and that and Riley 
did exactly what he was supposed to do. He was exactly who he was supposed to be. Right, and he wasn't supposed to be right for Buffy. Correct, yeah. He was Much... definitely he was definitely too sexist. Like upon in repeated viewings, uh if if Buffy was airing today and his season five, like you can't you're stronger than me, but I'm the man, that would drive me crazy in twenty seventeen. But in oh four and in uh two thousand when it aired, it was just kind of the way of the world. Yeah. And so. if if you actually go back and watch Xander in the first early seasons, he is a horrible human being. I have this joke, and it's not really a joke, and I love Nicholas Brendan, and this is no slight on his character, but I have often joked that Xander's the real big bad of Buffy. <laughs> like, for seven years, he makes selfish decisions, doesn't get called on his stuff, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear, and then, like, everyone else just forgives him. Just moves on. Like, when he tells Buffy that Willow said to kick Angel's ass, like, when he, there are just things that he does that are so self-absorbed and so unfeeling and no one ever, and so misogynistic and so controlling and so jealous, and it's so weird in this show about female empowerment, if you really step back and see that Xander is, like, not a good friend. Uh, do you think he redeems himself at all? Um, I think that he's lovable the whole way through. I don't hate Xander. I, I still love Xander. But it is hard sometimes. Like, if you sit down and make a list of the things that he gets away with, like summoning summoning Sweet and What's More With Feeling, that's just totally glossed over. Oh, they, yeah. They make a joke about it, but we watched people burn alive, remember? Like, Xander... What what are we doing? We're more angry that Don stole a necklace than that Xander killed people. Like Xander has a body count and no one addresses it. And there's these little things like that. He just gets away with everything. And that's I think that it's I think that Xander in some ways represents like the um double standard. Like how accountable are all the female characters held to their actions and mistakes? And Willow is made to feel so terrible about every bad decision she's ever made. And Buffy, people get hurt every time Buffy. And they both sit with the weight of the world on their shoulders. And then Xander, all he has to do is lead a regular life. And the truth is that some of the appeal to him is that he is, like, he doesn't have to help save the world. But he always does. And Xander is, Xander always tries to be a good person. But I just don't think he succeeds all the time. And I think that they're too forgiving for how critical they are of each other. I, you know, I would have to agree with you. Now, do you think that is just a byproduct of self-conscious thought coming forward? Or do you think he is, that was a known quality designed to be in the show? Okay, this is completely my opinion, but... Joss Whedon writes himself into a lot of his characters. I thought he was very blatantly Topher in Dollhouse. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the part of him that he maybe doesn't like as much became Xander. I think that Xander was a piece of, whether he meant to or not, I think in conceiving Xander, uh, Xander was this like piece of, of a personality 
that is sometimes very ugly and sometimes not. But Xander's pure insecurities are like his driving motivation. So I think that's why he lashes out and why he makes these decisions. And he's a flawed, real person, and he deserves love and he deserves understanding, but he just gets a disproportionate amount of love and understanding compared to, like, repercussions for his crimes. I'm not saying punish Xander. I'm not saying Xander shouldn't be there. Xander is an important part of the show. I just think that sometimes we forget that he hurt more than he helped sometimes. Wow. Um, yeah, so I'm sorry. It's, this is weird. This is no, weird. Buffy we fans are going to be dude, so mad at me and us. Yeah. We just got <laughs> real. We just got deep. Yeah. Um, and now I really want to try to lighten it back up, but I totally agree with you. And one of my one of my issues actually if if I can bring this up with some of Whedon's work is on in that vein sometimes it's unnecessary it's for example um I bring this up time and time again in Age of Ultron the prima nocta joke that Tony Stark uses remind me of that he's trying to pick up Molnar okay and he says, once I pick this up, I will reinstitute Prima Nocta, which is the old king's rule. When you rule. sleep with the, right? You sleep with a new bride on the wedding night. Yeah. And, and I, I totally understand that that is a very Tony Stark line. Yeah. Tony Stark would say something like that. In the movie, it is unnecessary. It served no purpose in the movie even though it was in line with a the character there could have been another conscious choice so with that and how sexist misogynistic double standard xander can be written um i you know now i, I'm trying I see there's something there to, there's something to that were you offended by that remark uh, um okay i i personally wasn't because after a while i was just like well when it first happened i was like no tony stark would say that mm-hmm. but then i really got into how unnecessary the comment was and i was like what purpose did it serve because we shouldn't have laughed at it right it's 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 not some a line of, that we should laugh at. So some of what I've been thinking about just in the past, you know, year, um, is a lot of how laughter can come both from a sense of like fear and threat, as like when you laugh when something's uncomfortable, or you laugh at something at somebody because they intimidate you, you know. Fear, oh, yeah. Like laughter can also come from a place of safety because you feel so unthreatened by what you're laughing at. And I think that that prima nocta, I think our society uh, doesn't think that that kind of thing, we have distanced ourselves emotionally more than is appropriate from some of our barbaric past. I can see that. Is what I mean. So people laughing at it think that it's impossible that it would ever come back and they think that Tony's joking too and he probably is but 
they think that, haha, it's so funny because it would never happen. Also, probably not a lot of people wrote about that because that term's not all that well known. I had to think about it when you said it, and I actually am familiar with it. Yeah. Well, it was just I had had a conversation with somebody about this on Monday, so it was on the forefront of my brain. But you're right, though. I mean, sometimes that that and Joss Joss is guilty of it too. It happens a lot, and I think that it's happening less these days. But yeah, sometimes sometimes the joke wasn't necessary. Sometimes it was maybe inappropriate, and maybe Allah, what I said about Xander, maybe it did more harm than good. It's possible. And I think there is something to that. But I think that also that, oh, I don't know, like, I think that television is moving away from that. I think that people consider other people's feelings now before they write things. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, to the point where people think that there's too much censorship, and I don't know. But, I mean, I do think that people consider how their words and their portrayals affect others. And I think that, for the most part, that's a good thing. Um, but I think that there's something there. Do you have any other, any other examples that come to mind? This is such an interesting topic. Oh gosh. Um, no, you know what? I, I can't off the top of my head. Um, it's just those, it's, it's mostly because I'm listening to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, Mm -hmm. which is two females talking about a high school boy. And don't get me wrong. Xander talks and acts exactly the way a cis straight white male high school boy talks. Yeah. He acts perfectly. I'm just not saying that's good. Right, right. (laughs) And then, and then the, to reinforce the Xander thing, I go to the Prima Nocta thing. I don't have any other examples on the forefront of my mind. I have one. Oh, go for it. Why did Cordelia have to sleep with Connor? Ah! I mean, really. Like, I know the pregnancy. I know that it wasn't all planned. I know that we were scrambling a little. I know that Joss likes to go where the hurt is. But my God, we didn't need that. Correct. Yeah. And I just... Okay, first of all, I just thought the entire Connor thing was just... Not great. So, Uh, no, I love baby (laughs) Connor. I love Darla pregnant. I love Darla giving birth. I love Angel as a dad. Growing up was where they, I'm not going to say they lost me. I love Angel, but, I, you know, I'm not sure. And I like Vincent. It's not It's not about Vin- Vincent Carthizer. It was just like, I don't know. I like He's Angel in- getting to be the dad. I, I hated that Angel had all that pain thrust upon him like that with Connor getting kidnapped. Yeah, and and Vincent Carthizer, Carthizer. I'm not uh, sure. Yeah. Phenomenal on Mad Men. Absolutely I've heard that. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I gotta give I gotta give props where props is due. But yeah, it just I it it and then giving birth to Gina Torres, I just <laughs> I just didn't see it as uh But good... meanwhile, Jasmine, so I have this theory. Okay. I have this theory. I published it published is the wrong word, but I put it in like a blog post on Buffy Fest in around 2008, okay? Mm-hmm. And that was the only time I've ever written it or put it out there or even really talked about it. But I have this theory that Jasmine has been manipulating the characters on Buffy and Angel since 2000 or since um season 3 of Buffy. 
because I think that when Angel, remember Buffy kills Angel in Becoming Part 2, he disappears and he doesn't show up again until, uh, what's the Faith, ring. Faith, Hope, and Trick, yeah, or no, yeah, Faith, Hope, and Trick, isn't it? But anyway, um, it's never explained why he's just suddenly brought back from the Hell Dimension, not once. And so I think that since we later find out in Angel that Jasmine was the only real power of the powers that be who cared, I believe that Jasmine brought him back from this hell dimension and then swayed him in some way to get him to L.A. with whatever it was. And then because we know that she sent Doyle to him with the visions and the visions passed to Cordelia and Lorne and like every that Jasmine had a small hand in manipulating everything that led to her own birth then I believe that Jasmine herself sent every single vision that Doyle and Cordelia got and that the other powers never actually intervened until the 100th episode, You're Welcome, directed by David Fury. <laughs> I, it has been so long since I watched Angel. I'm going to go back now with this theory in mind. I mean, really, I just think it's the only thing that makes sense because it answers a lot of questions. Like, if the powers cared enough to send the vision, how come they never actually cared enough to help? And they never, and Jasmine says all these things about, the other powers don't care. I'm the only one who's ever cared about this planet. And so I, to me, I think that that means that Jasmine has been the actual power that, that did everything to maneuver Angel. And that's why, like, I think, I think she really is, like, the big bad of the show. And a lot of people don't see that, but it, that's how I interpret it. Interesting. Interesting. I like that. I like that. Um, Especially because season four is so iffy that by assigning it extra meaning, I get to appreciate it on the same level as the other seasons. <laughs> okay, good to know. It might be a, <laughs> it might be a coping mechanism. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's how I see it. So I've kept you for, oh my goodness, almost an hour and a half. What is the social media handles for Weedon Con and yours personally, if you want to share that, but you don't have to. Um, I, you know, uh, I am, I don't do anything. No one would be that interested in me, I think, but, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't do any self-promotion. I, I do do film work. I mean, I don't know, I don't know who your audience is, but I do freelance production design and art direction and, uh, prop mastering and set building and such. And my email uh, is uh, C, the letter C, John, J O H N, Cullen, C U L L E N, at gmail.com. And I'm always looking for new projects. So if anyone's interested, they can reach out that way. Um, the only thing they know about me is that I can talk their ear off about Joss Whedon, but that's that's <laughs> basically half of what a resume should be. So um, I will say uh, our Facebook is just Whedon Con, W-H-E-D-O-N-C-O-N, one word. You may accidentally find yourself on the event page, which is fine. Mark yourself as interested, but you're looking for Whedon Con, the fan page. And please like us because I made a bet with myself that I would get Whedon Con's Facebook numbers to surpass that of Whedonopolis, our sister news site. And I have brought our fans' likes up by, let me see, 830 since I started this uh, three months ago. And I just need another 200 to surpass. So, nice. yeah. So please bring your likes, please. Um, <laughs> I want to, I'm going to buy myself something special if I make that, uh, 
make that goal I set for myself. <laughs> and WingCon, WingCon is May 19th through 21st at the Warner Center Marriott. You're so tired of hearing it, audience. I'm sorry. Um, www.weedandcon.com. There will be an Eventbrite link at the bottom of this video for memberships, which are on sale now. And if you want to, you know, come up and find me. Actually, my roommate and I run a... Um, a, we run the WeedonCon YouTube channel, and we haven't had um, a lot of time with it, of course. We're all volunteers, but we review episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and we will be having – we will have our own panel on Saturday afternoon. Our show is called Lovin' from the Oven because we don't have a studio, so we film in our kitchen. And, <laughs> and we review Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and we're going to be sitting down with Mark Kolpak, the visual effects supervisor for – or visual effects director he's the most the highest most visual effects guy at shield we're going to be sitting down with him for a half hour and then the next half hour we'll be sitting down with nikki brendan and so come check our panel out of course we're opposite david fury tim minear and christos gage who writes the buffy comics so i don't blame you if you don't come check us out but um <laughs> we do have a panel at whedon con and that should be a lot of fun so we're, we're the same thing on twitter instagram we are just weed and con, one word. Find us, like us, follow us. I mostly, I run the Facebook. It's mostly weed and anniversaries, weed and news, weed and jokes, happy birthday to the actors, and then news about the con. So even if you can't make it to the con, if you want a little weed and related smile every day, I got your back. <laughs> That's excellent. And I gave, I it's been an hour and a half. I hope you have time to prepare an answer for the question. Oh, I didn't actually, but go ahead and ask me. What parting advice do you have for everyone out there listening to the podcast? There are three flowers in a vase. The third flower is yellow. That was my dollhouse advice. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any other advice. Um my advice is, I mean, if you can, come to Weed and Con. I know that's lame, and I've said it a hundred times, but, like, come to a party, give money to charity. It's going to be fun. My other advice, oh, God, this is hard. Um, <laughs> you don't, it's fine, dude. The uh, I, go, go to Weed and Con is good advice. All right, it is good advice. Check us out. Come on down. We're going to be... We're going to have a lot of fun. And you remember what I said, you know, we're not just, you're not just welcome. We're excited you're here. That's Come excellent. be part of the family. Christopher, thank you so much for thank coming you. on the podcast. You're I very welcome. I can't thank you enough. This is such a fun little accident that we ended up meeting. And I'm so glad. Me too. And I hope you come back anytime. If there's ever a new Whedon thing out, you can come back and you and I will just gab about it for another hour, hour well, and a half. I would love it. You call me anytime. Uh, this was so much fun. I love having someone to talk to about this stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's great. Excellent. Well, on that note, um, everyone out there listening, I hope you enjoyed this one half as much as I did because then I know you loved it. I know. I feel so bad. They had to listen to me. I talked so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh. no, uh, it was a blast. And so all you listeners out there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Hopefully we'll see you at Whedon Con. And on that note, work out nerd out, y'all. When we play, we go away.
Thank you for listening to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Please leave us a review on iTunes as well as a rating. We would definitely appreciate it. And while you're at it, follow us on all social media at Dumbbells Dragon. That includes Pinterest, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, and Snapchat. Until next time, work out, nerd out.